So, hey, welcome to the Badass Broadcast. The podcast about badass broads. Uh, We're your hosts, Shalom. And Carrie. And, yeah, and this is uh, episode six. Episode six. I'm excited. Episode six out of six I, I didn't so have far. I do any homework. <laughs> That's the best, right? When you're the one that just has to sit there and listen. Yeah. And you don't have to do any of the, the storytelling stuff. Yeah. I do love actually like doing all the research and I get really excited. As we saw last week, I was like super excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like learning. Yeah. Like learning about people that maybe like this week, like I'd heard of her. Mm-hmm. And you like little teeny bits, but I never really actually, like, I didn't know any real details about her. So it's like yeah. d- delving into this life of this person. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's been yeah, fun. Yeah, seriously. Like every it's week. It's been like a month and a half. We learn so much. Can you believe it? <laughs> Six. This is crazy. Six. Just, you know, 46 more to go to call it a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I was just actually listening to a podcast today and they were celebrating their one year anniversary. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, one year. Ooh. I don't even want to think about that. That's too far away. Wow. I'm just taking it one week at a time. <sighs> anyway, on this podcast, we tell stories about women uh, who are badasses, really, who just like kind of like rose above <laughs> the, their circumstances and their lives and, and just uh, accomplished things. And broke the glass ceiling yeah. and kicked some balls and, you know. Yeah. I was going to say some <laughs> ass, but we can use your word. <laughs> well, because we're talking about the patriarchy. So. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. And also, when you guys are listening to this, it is Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. It's or when, when we come oh. out, when we publish okay. this one, it's Christmas Eve. So Can Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Um, Kara, what's your favorite Christmas tradition growing up? Growing up? I mean, I always liked the just decorating the house and then doing the tree because mom mm-hmm. always made that like a real tradition. Like she insisted yeah. on it being like a family affair to decorate the tree. We had cookies and hot chocolate and yeah. music. And then we all got... we put all the decorations on the tree and then we got a brand new one to put on there and it was just kind of like even if it was just a dinky little thing from the dollar store or something homemade because she had no money that year it was just something new that we could open and then put on the tree and then we get to keep all of our decorations and i still have some of them yeah on my tree i think we did talk about that before actually yeah but um she would always i like that she would usually Keep in mind that, like, let's wait until after Shalom's birthday to do yeah. Christmas because I my birthday's at the I end mean, of November, so it's yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's not that close to Christmas, but it, it could get you could get lost in the yeah in in the whole <laughs> hullabaloo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also did like um, she always did baking, like all the baking, like so much baking, but also like. That was our host gift to everyone. So if we went to someone's house or went to a thing or whatever, or other people would come over, it was always our thing was like giving away plates of goodies to our neighbors as well. Like we would walk around and give them. She made so many different things. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course they were in the freezer for us to sneak. Yeah. Before, in the weeks before Christmas. (laughs) And that was always fun. Like if they were out. 
for the evening or whatever, just go and grab some t- cookies. Yeah. As long as there were some left. As long as and, there, and like, then you'd like rearrange the pan of cookies that was in there <laughs> to make it look fuller so that she wouldn't. But she knew. She, she always knew. knew. And she'd be like, she'd have to plan it out and like um, make pre-make plates of food uh, to bring to people like uh, goodies um, just so that. So she there'd be that, enough, so that we weren't wouldn't touch those ones, but we would touch the yeah. ones that were in the freezer. That's so funny. Yeah, she always oh made God. so many, and they were always like. She, I remember mm-hmm. she had this one big um, for tarts. She would make butter tarts and mincemeat tarts, and she had this gigantic film container. Yeah, yeah, like an antique. Like, and film it was perfect container. for tarts because it was yeah. just like it was the right height, and she could fit like a, and it was like a large one too. Giant, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know like what how many feet or what I don't know how much it was at least size wise but but it was large and it was the perfect size for her tarts and uh, (laughs) i have no idea where she got that thing well you know our house was littered with just had like a antique things things, random antique things cheap antique things well just like so much farm equipment farm stuff (laughs) yeah but what a film container yeah i don't know she was (laughs) never into film so it doesn't make sense but she probably, I don't know, maybe she saw it at a yard sale and thought, ooh, this will be perfect for baking. Like, <laughs> she probably didn't even know what probably. it was. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But uh, anyway. Yeah, that was cute. That was a lot of, a lot of strong memories there. So um, as of tomorrow, I mean Friday, I mean, no, today, yeah. Christmas Eve at noon, I am off for a week. Nice. Lucky you. Paid. I get We're off like Christmas shut down. Day. <laughs> yeah, don't go back to work until January fourth. Hmm. Very very happy about that. I was just telling you before, we don't get a Christmas party, but we get paid time off, and I'd rather have that <laughs> than it, to have yeah. like a Christmas party with the office. I Dude, I don't care about that. I remember <laughs> back in our heyday, I used to work at this small shop, and it was like, it was the best Christmases ever like we would get really nice gifts and they would really put their heart and soul into like what would Shalom like and then they'd give you that gift and I always loved it every year and then they'd take us out sometimes driving us uh, sometimes like we'd take a limo to a restaurant and it would always be a fancy restaurant and we could eat anything we wanted or like we had rented a room where, like, the chef would cook for us, and it was just, like, the best. And then we'd also get bonus checks. And so it was just, like, the best Christmas experience See, for any workplace. I mean, Plus, I genuinely loved everyone that I worked with. And I just, like, in years like this, I just hold on to those memories, and I'm like, at least I had some really good years. Yeah, I've never had, like, a really, really fantastic Christmas like shindig or gift or anything from a, yeah. from an employer never ever <laughs> like this is probably yeah. the best one which t- paid time off like that's yeah. the best that's all I could ask for from this company like I, I don't particularly want to hang out with them in a social setting anyway so. yeah you don't they're I mean, not like your best friends. they're they're fine in yeah. the environment of where they're supposed to be yeah but just stay there yeah, <laughs> I, I draw I tend to draw a line <laughs> with my work co- colleagues. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I I love all the people I work with right now, so well, no complaints. Good. I mean, it's COVID time, so work sucks, but no but complaints. It's, <laughs> but it's work. But it's with great people, so yeah. Yeah. Anyway. 
in a ways. Keep it positive. You always do that. It bugs me so much. I do it, it like, should be funny, but it's kind of a habit. You've literally been doing that for like 10 years. And it's because you're funny. mocking like people that we knew growing up, like old pastors or whatever who would always do that. Or old men, uh, just old German men do old, that. Old Mennonite men. Yeah. In a ways. And that bugs me so much because you <laughs> did start out mocking them and now it's legitimately your thing and you can no longer call it a joke. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I think of that every time I say it. I'm doing it on purpose. <laughs> oh my God. You're crazy. Woo-hoo. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, I just I just turned on my iPad and it uh, pops up to what I was watching before oh. you got here, which I watch every year. And I don't know why, because it's the stupidest movie ever. Love Actually. Love Actually. But it's my crit- Christmas tradition. You know what? I watch every year until last year was, uh, what was it called? While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah. And then I just got mad. Last year, I was just yelling at the TV, and I was like, That's, you're so stupid. It's a Why stupid are you doing movie. It? Yeah. I used no, to no, love it. No, all movies are stupid. All movies, oh. especially from the 90s, do not age well. And then you're yeah. just yelling at the screen, saying, shut up, stop. Like, why are you and reacting that way? all Christmas movies, I, I yeah, do not like. stupid. As a genre, I do not like Christmas movies. Except for Home Alone. Five. No, I don't. I don't so. like Home Alone. That's you. Okay. I genuinely I love know. Home Alone. I know. <laughs> I have a Christmas surprise for you on Christmas Eve that I'm not going to tell you about right now. What? <laughs> We're watching Home Alone? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't put yourself through that. <laughs> Not even for me. Should I tell you? Yes, I hate surprises. Just I got me. Disney Plus for one month. Oh, and it yay. has all five. All five. All five. And I can never find mine. And Newsies. I love Newsies. So Christmas Eve, we can watch Newsies, and we can watch okay. one Home Alone movie. So take nope. your pick. No, nope, we're watching one, two, and five. And you, okay. As long as Newsies is first. Remember the last time we watched Newsies in your old apartment? And uh, our the lady that lived upstairs was like um, an actor. And she's very, she enunciates everything so well. Yes. And she's so clearly a, a trained stage yes. actor. She she's I'm sure she's great. I never saw her act. But she, like... She she would does musicals too because she sings and everything, and you and I were like cranking up the volume and we're singing all the songs, all the words. Did she say anything about it? No. <laughs> I think may, maybe I mentioned it to her and, and laughed about it. I don't know if she noticed, but that was fun. Yeah, because we hadn't seen it in years. Yeah, I love Newsies. I love anyway, that it's on Disney Plus. Yes. Um, I was going to say, though, like with the um, Christmas traditions, like I, up until a few years ago, I didn't really do much baking. And oh, I just yeah. kind of decided like, uh, I think it was only like three years ago that I wanted to actually start doing actual Christmas baking. So I've started doing that. Mm-hmm. And every year I kind of like do different recipes. And this year I think I've got like a lot of the classics that mom used to do. Yeah. I don't do nearly as much variety. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's good. It feels like childhood Christmas. Yeah. With my plate of cookies. Yes. That are very expensive to get everything to make that stuff. Exactly why I don't do it. I literally, you know what I gave all my coworkers this year? Just because like all of us have had a pay cut. So it's not like I'm going to go around buying everyone gifts. But Uh um, there's like six of us basically in my department. And so I just made one thing and I made a buttload of it. And I just gave them each like a little baggie of it. But I wanted to make it like put it in like cute Christmas cello bags. And then I couldn't because... You can't buy it because it's not essential? The stores are all super locked down right now, right? So, um, in our city anyway, so... But, yeah, we won't get into Every that. Every city's so different. I know. It's so weird because you see things on TV and you're like, oh. Or okay. I see, like, Instagram accounts and people are, like, getting together with people. And I have to remind myself, that's in a different part of the world. And they yeah. have different rules. It might be in yeah. the States where they don't, they actually respect people's individual rights to choose. <laughs> Okay, we're not getting get into that, honey. No, we're not. All right, let's let's get going. Okay, so our story today, our lovely, lovely lady of the day is Miss Shirley Temple. Mm. I know nothing about her except that. Sorry, my mouth is full. Except that she is a delicious non-alcoholic beverage. Yes, and Shirley Temple, the person, oh, didn't okay. really like Shirley Temple, the drink. Oh, okay. It was too sweet. What? too sweet for her That's she didn't hilarious. like it um but she would get served it all over the world oh really oh so it was invented like before <laughs> yeah i okay. can't oh gosh i didn't write down the year that it was invented but it was like and they, they had others too that are like um non-alcoholic kind of kid-friendly mocktails named after different child stars or whatever yeah um gosh i didn't write down all the other ones but because shirley temple is the one that i'm talking about so I don't even know what's in it. (laughs) It's basically just like um, ginger ale and grenadine with like a maraschino cherry or something like that. Oh my God, that's weird. That doesn't sound good. Or I think think you can also do with like a lemon or lime kind of soda too, but Mm. with the grenadine and then the That sounds too sweet for me. Yeah. I've never had one, but Mm. it just, yeah, it just sounds really, it doesn't really appeal to me, but whatever. You know what? I always thought it was like a chocolate milk kind of You can get a... uh, I can't remember what they called. You can get a, a dirty one with mm. alcohol in it. And okay. because her married name was Black, so she, later in life she goes by Shirley Temple Black. You can get a Shirley Temple Black <laughs> with rum in it, with like oh. a dark a dark rum. Okay. And it's called a Shirley Temple Black. That's Because that's her name. Isn't that cool? I'll try next time. <laughs> anyway, some of my resource, resources are <laughs> my resources for this episode is um in you on youtube i got a lot from youtube um there was a great uh there were some interviews that i watched like from 1988 when she was like promoting her book mm-hmm. um called child star which i actually think would be an interesting read um so one was a interview with larry king um there was a a town meeting i'm not sure what town what city this was in i think it was somewhere in washington um where it was like kind of like a live episode where she was just there. There's a little studio audience and then, and then people will call in and ask questions or whatever. And she's just basically mm-hmm. promoting her book, but she gives a lot of insights into her early life and career and stuff like that. And then uh, there was also around that same time was a, an interview she did on uh, Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. 
So mm. I watched some of those and it's really great to get her personal firsthand take yeah. on um, her life and the things that, uh, um, yeah, like her actual take on it. And the reason that she wrote a book, she said, was because there were like so many biographies about her and the one that she, one specific one she mentioned had like over 500 factual errors. So she's like, oh, oh that's God. enough. I'm just going to write my own book. <laughs> that's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, because you think that when someone is writing a biography, they're, they're going to do research. And that they're, if that person is still alive, that they'll like seek, you yeah. know, <laughs> some kind of answers. That. But like that, oh, that's so bizarre. I would never think about that. But I think like if, like next time I read a biography, I definitely want to like check the, the just t- read it with a grain of salt like yeah yeah anyway the there were some good uh, documentaries on youtube though there's one uh from the hollywood collection called america's little darling there's one called hollywood's children uh, there's an a and e biography um and then various short videos you know just kind of like clips of her uh her stuff when she was a little kid um various short videos by lady white rabbit and grunge and and etc um, podcasts, Holly Weird Paranormal. Okay. Um, I really only listened to the first half cause I didn't want to get into the, all the paranormal stuff. Like they, that's what they do. They, anyway, Is they told her story stuff about Shirley No, Temple? like apparently there's no Shirley Temple ghosts or anything like that, but I don't know. I think I didn't really listen to it. So I don't know what that side of it was. I just listened okay. to the part about her actual life. Um, the Odd Sisters podcast, um, which could have been a name for us. Totally. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they did a good one. And then there's also the dark side of. um, And then Wikipedia, obviously, and HollywoodLexicon.com for a little bit of the uh, info on uh, the rules and stuff like that, the studio system. So um, just a little bit of a foundation for uh, the world that Shirley Temple came into. Um, Hollywood was under a the studio system. Wait, what year was she born? So she was born in 1928. Okay. So she got into it in the 30s, and um, the studio system, basically everyone... This this quoting from Hollywood Lexicon, I'm just going to read like this whole description of the studio system. So basically everyone was under contract. Producers, directors, actors, writers, cinematographers, art directors, technicians, etc. Basically everybody. The stable of actors consisted of lead actors, supporting actors, and central casting extras. All casting was typecasting. Lead actors were groomed and promoted by a star system, more concerned with camera presence than acting jobs. A star is made, created, carefully and cold-bloodedly built up from nothing, said Louis B. Mayer. All I ever looked for was a face. If someone looked good to me, I'd have him tested. If a person looked good on film, if you photographed well, we could do the rest. Star making could include changing the actor's name, coaching the actor in diction, posture, horseback riding, dancing, singing, fencing, and more. Physical enhancement with makeup, hairstyling, and hair replacement. Fitness training, and that most Hollywood affixes cosmetic surgery. So, yeah, they just... (laughs) <laughs> it, and and like if you were under contract, basically the studio owned you. You couldn't yeah. like today. You can go and work for any studio production company, whatever. Um, there are unions that kind of dictate, you know, like rules and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. um, but like if you wanted to go and work for, first of all, like you were on like a weekly salary, mm-hmm. and for a certain period of time. And if another company wanted to use you, they would have to pay. 
Yeah. They would have to lease you from yeah. your, your home company. I knew that part, but I didn't realize that they like, it were so formulaic around like building a star. Yeah. I didn't realize that part. And it's, like they pumped out so many movies back then. Yeah. Because constantly. They, they also like up until like, what is it? The twenties or thirties. I forget when they didn't even have scripts. They literally would just like have an idea and like have a set and everyone would just kind of come and like they'd throw it together all oh, I didn't second. know that <laughs> yeah it was hilarious it's would it's, that be like until like the start of the guys, talkies maybe when they actually had to start saying lines no I think it started after that but it's like it, it's some guy's name because he like kind of invented the concept of like hey maybe we should be writing a script to like plan <laughs> it out better so that's why we have better quality films now but yeah, it's a legit thing. It's kind of a, I mean, there, there's, there's like, I guess a little bit of a throwback to that now. Like when you work in film, you still get a weekly salary. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's based on the contract of the film that you're doing. Yes. Right now. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, most other jobs, I mean, you get paid bi-weekly or semi-monthly or whatever yeah. it is, but in film you get paid by week and it's a salary. Like when you sign on to do the whole mm-hmm. production. Yeah. It's your salary, a weekly salary, so much per week, mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, big name actor or whatever. But if you're a crew member, that's how yeah. it works. Um, so this system was in place until, I guess, technically like 1948, late 40s. But I mean, there were some stars who kind of who had begun to sue studios like in previous years to that um, just for, you know, basically more freedom. Like you were really stuck. You were under their thumb and they owned you basically. And that, and they use those kind of terms like loaned, borrowed, leased yeah. kind of like, like you're a thing. You're, yeah. you're a commodity of that particular studio. So it, um, at the beginning they didn't really use ch- child actors. They had adults play ch- children's roles. Oh my God. Really? So they yes. just do like, um, like small petite adults well like mary pickford played kids up until her late 20s mm-hmm. she's playing like maybe like a young teenager or something like yeah. that um but, but they yeah. just wouldn't even write it in like sometimes she, probably i don't i don't know she's just like it, this was just how they did yeah. it i mean kind of like back in the old days where men would play women play female characters like yeah adults yeah, played yeah. children and because it's all make-believe so i guess they had a way of Suspending yeah. disbelief, I don't know. But um, so they have, they would have like smaller roles or tre- be treated more as like a prop kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until 1921 when Chaplin cast uh, Jackie Coogan as the lead child actor to play in The Kid. Okay. So that he was like the first child star, okay. Jackie Coogan. And, um, and kids those days, um, they operated kind of like under an apprenticeship type program where the money that they earned did not belong to them. Mm-hmm. It was their parents' money. Oh, my God. So they had no, like, legal right to... It's just pure child like, they labor. Just, yeah, like their parents would just take their money. So what happened with Jackie Coogan was his father actually, like, he wasn't, he didn't have to do this, but... Legally speaking, but he chose to try to set up a trust fund for his son, try to manage his money and uh, set it aside for him when he turned 21. Well, then his father died and his mother, it was unclear whether or not 
she was already married to like his stepfather or if she like if they were divorced or something or if she married him after the fact. I don't know. But either mm-hmm. way, after his father died, he had a stepfather. His stepfather started just mm-hmm. spending the money. Both of them, like his mother and stepfather, just started spending the money willy-nilly. And so when he turned 21, he's like, how much money do I have? Where's my money? And and she's like, it's not your money. We didn't, I didn't promise you anything. Oh my so God. That's heartless. You, you, it's, it's our money. And they just literally just spent it all. And he had earned, mm-hmm. um, he had earned about $4 million mm-hmm. in his childhood, which in the, in today's money is about 74 million. Oh my God. He sued them. He ended up being awarded 150,000. Oh my God. Which is about 2.8 million today. Um, and then after that is when California put into place what is known as the Coogan Law, where you have to, in, before you can, um, this was in the, like 1939, uh, before you can, you can even sign a contract for your child, you have to set up a trust fund for them. And uh, minimum of 15% of their earnings has to go into that trust fund, like directly from the production company studio. Is it still that number, 15%? Yes. That is such a small amount. Though. That's the minimum legally obligated. Because, I mean, there are other expenses associated of with, of course. Like, and if you're a child actor, then you're, one of your parents has to put their own career yeah. on the back burner and follow yeah, yeah. you around like a puppy dog. It, it, it is an uh, oddly low number. Yeah. 15%. Um, but, I mean, not every child actor is making millions. I'd say per like, movie. yeah, but at no, least this guarantees them something when they turn 21 and you can't like, you cannot take it out. Yeah. Nobody, but the child and the child has to petition when they turn 21 to be able to get that money. And then like, nobody is allowed like, and it goes through p- the payroll system automatically. 15% gets deferred to this trust fund. So of course there are still, I mean, even since then ch- ch- child actors whose parents have, or, managers or whatever who whatever have you have you know stolen their money so it didn't solve all the problems but it made it a lot better i remember specifically the only one that i know of was i was a huge home improvement fan when i was a kid and taryn noah smith his his parents had done that i think i I, i'm pretty sure i'm not Mm. like 100 percent sure but i remember that being a whole scandal and he like and also macaulay culkin had the same issue leanne rhymes like children having to sue their parents to get their money that they earn yeah with their talent yeah regardless of if your parent is managing you or not anyway so back then children were forced to work long hours there was minimal child labor laws and sometimes they were given drugs to keep them going like if you look into we won't get into the story of judy garland but if you do any research into her like it's a Mm. very very sad story very tragic um, how, how she just ended up like after being treated like that. It's just ridiculous. Now, now, nowadays there are better rules for kids on set. Like depending on your age, like, the, like age, different age brackets are very, very specific about how much time you can spend on set. Yeah. Um, like a baby is like 20 minutes mm-hmm. max all the way up to like when, if you're 17, you can work like six to eight hours or something like that. You can't do like the full 12, 14 hour yeah. days. So, so you've worked with kids before, right? Um, on set? 
Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't on set, but yeah, I worked on oh, a production okay. with with kids. So yeah, we we had shorter yeah. days, shorter production days because yeah. of that. Um, only eleven or twelve hours as opposed to fourteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but the kids would have only been there or working for the minimal times. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, so to get into actual Shirley Temple's life, uh, she was born, like I said, April 23rd, 1928 in Santa Monica. Um, they, uh, moved to Los Angeles when she was just a little itty bitty thing. Her father, George was a banker. Her mother, Gertrude was a housewife in the vernacular of the day. So I guess like a home homemaker. Okay. Um, she had two older brothers, George Jr. and John, but they were like quite a bit older, like 10 and 12 years older. So she was like the cutesy little oh. baby of the family. And um, apparently she was really feisty. She had lots of energy, which you can tell if you see her in, on film. Yes. Um, so uh, someone had suggested to her mother to put her in dance classes. And her mother had always had aspiration to be a dancer. Aww. So she put her into this um, this school called uh oh there's multiple names for it uh meglin's i didn't write down the name of it but it was meglin's something dance academy or something like that and so Mm -hmm. she had like uh like this lady was like a a former dancer uh i think she was like a vaudeville dancer or something like that Mm -hmm. anyway so she started this cool school for kids and it was like right close, right next to like a, a studio lot or a production lot or something like that. So every once in a while, the producers would come over if they wanted a kid or whatever. And they, they would come over and just like kind of watch all the kids dance. And, and they would just sort of oh. like pick a child to be in a production, right? That's so So um, one time a guy came over and Shirley was there. She was three years old. And she, was, um, she, she said later on that she didn't like his face. <laughs> so she hid under the piano and then the guy sees her under the piano and he's like, that's the one I want. Maybe there was something to it and it wasn't just his face. And she actually like, kids you know, are like, so highly intuitive. I know. He but I mean, to freak. hear her explain that yeah. when she was 60 years old, um, was she just didn't like his face. I mean, who knows why? Yeah. Um, she didn't specify why, if there was any <laughs> reason why, but she didn't, <laughs> But she was so cute with her little blonde ringlets. And, and it was around this time that her mother had started styling her hair in ringlets. The and, perfect ringlet. And, and, it, and she had to do it every single night. <laughs> and, uh, and her mother was actually, like later on, she was actually paid. Like that was part of, she was paid by the studio a salary to, main, to take care of her and maintain her curls. Oh, wow. So every night she would have to go through this routine um, where... Her mother would do her curls, and then once a week she had to go through like this vinegar rinse that burned her eyes, and she didn't like it. And, oh, um, but they were so cute! And but it was always the same number. It was all, I heard fifty two, and I heard fifty six. But it, every night it was the same number of ringlets. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the first thing that she was cast in was that just wait. That just reminds me of like being a kid and doing that on Saturday night, so I could have. Perfect curls Sunday morning, yeah, and how exhausting that was, and f- that, like how many hours and then to it have took to, to get sleep on it. Perfect. Oh, that was so uncomfortable because we had like very specific rollers. They were like foam rollers with a foam clip. with the plastic, and then you'd wear like nylon over your head at night, like old pantyhose. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's ridiculous. Uh, um, 
so the this uh, producer was from a company called Educational Pictures, and the first thing that she was cast in was a series of one reel shorts, one reel meaning like one reel of film. Each one was about ten minutes long. Yeah. Um, they um, they're called baby burlesques. Oh my god, what? <laughs> and they spell burlesque different, like with a K at the end instead of the Q U E, which is weird. But basically, they were p- parodies of grown up movies. <laughs> with all all the cast was toddlers and they were all playing like like it was sort of a set uh takeoff of like um a may west or a marlene dietrich movie and uh mm-hmm. uh sh- I, there were a few of them that she made um and she's like three years old and you can see them and she's like singing and acting and and just like all these little three-year-old kids and you watch uh, them like at first yeah there are some of them you can watch on uh prime um oh my god they are disturbing because like at first glance it's really cute because they're just these little kids and they're acting and they're they're cute little costumes but if you look like even just a little bit under the surface is like she's playing an exotic dancer or a sex worker and she's like in a love triangle and she has her first on-screen kiss when she's like three years old okay mind you she doesn't know what's going on but all the adults around what adult wants to fucking watch that right that's and ha- so like, disgusting. how did that get past the drawing board? Well, like, I guess pedophiles just ran the show. I mean, also in the 30s, like it, what, nobody batted an eye in these children playing these grown up yeah. roles because they're just cute, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what, um, what's it called? Like d- toddlers and tiaras and all that shit is yeah. all about, I think. That's my controversial opinion. It's but. just, so yeah, I mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she made a handful of those and then she, uh, and with the same company, she made another series of several, I think there's like four or five episodes of like this. Um, they called it the Frolics of Youth. And these were two real comedies. So I guess about 20 minutes each where she just played the baby sister in a suburban family. And then she would get into all kinds of like mischief with her teenage brother or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, so a little more, a little more wholesome. <laughs> playing an exotic dancer yeah um and she was at this point she was like loaned out for several smaller roles and films and whatever for various studios and then um and then along comes fox um fox studios or fox pictures i don't don't know just fox whatever everybody knows who (laughs) that is um so they're casting for this movie called stand up and cheer which is basically kind of like a series of sketches like it wasn't like a one long movie story like a full length feature it was like a series of smaller sketches so they were casting for um this one they needed her to do like just like a a dance routine um yeah one scene basically so um she's five at this time and uh and they had already been filming when they cast her so they basically just used like a, a dance routine that she had learned in class mm-hmm. and, um, and she taught her adult co-star. So basically like he kind of like learned from her, just kind of like picked yeah. up on it and just did his own thing based off of that. Uh, as soon as she was done with her scene, they pulled her into an office to sign a $150 a week contract for the next two weeks. Okay. And they're like, Ooh, she's got something. Yeah. Let's grab her. So $150 would be uh 3000. Are you serious? Yeah, per week. 
I, I was joking. I didn't think you had the answer, but that's no, insane. No, I looked up the numbers. I yeah. mean, I would like that, please. So then at the end of the two weeks, it's extended for a year with an option Holy for shit. seven years. So, so in, so she filmed very quickly back to back, stand up and cheer, baby, take a bow, bright eyes, which was like made basically just for her. Um, and all three of them were like hits. Like she was just an instant hit. So that was just when, if you heard any of that whimpering in the, in the background, that was just, that was my dog afraid to go down the stairs. Your big dog, by the way, medium sized dog that is scared the size of size of a German shepherd that looks kind of scary when she's barking. She's scared to go down the stairs. Oh my God. So funny. Anyway. So that she can hang out with my roommate. <laughs> I don't know. No, I will literally come home from work and, um, the other one will be downstairs with her and I won't see him until after I take XE outside. Yeah. It's just, and then he comes upstairs. He's like, oh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) Oh, they love her. Anyway. So after Shirley's third film success, her parents negotiated a pay raise to a thousand dollars a week. Oh my God. That's 20,000. A week? Yes. Times 52? Yeah. I can't even now, do that math. When when they got when they gave her the $150 a week, they paid her mother 25 a week. So that's that that's about 500 yeah. nowadays. And then when they gave her the raise to 1000, they gave her mama raise to I think 250. Wow. Yeah. So that's about 250, that's a quarter of that, so about 5. Yeah. grand. A week. That's insane. Wow. Just to do her hair. Yeah. And take care of her. Anyway. <laughs> like, so just do her job as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1935, she was given a miniature Oscar for her contributions. Uh, like, uh, this is something, like, it wasn't like a in what regular year? thing, 1935. Okay. This is, she was the first one to get this, but it's, it, it sort of became a thing after that where they would give, like, an honorary Oscar to, like, a juvenile Mm-hmm. actor who had contributed to film um they just gave it out at their discretion it wasn't like every year like a category kind of yeah. thing so they gave out i think about 26 of them the last one was given out in 1960 to Haley mills or something like that but she was shirley temple was the first one to get one okay so um there was merch galore dolls toys oh the merch oh yeah um, tons of money from royalties and endorsements. 1935, she made 100000 1936, 200000 mm-hmm. So it was just like all over the place, like Shirley Temple fever. Like she literally just like, it was the depression. Everybody, like her whole role, basically, it was just to like uplift Bring, people's yeah. spirits and make them happy. If and you're an antique shopper like me, you've seen like all the Shirley Temple merch at I, every like antique mall. Now that I'm kind of a fan of hers, I'd like to find like a little thing. Like, I don't know, not, nothing huge. I wouldn't like be a collector, yeah. but one little thing would be kind of neat Yeah, to find from That's the cute. 30s. Um, so it's like around this time or like kind of like around when she started to get successful that Fox basically asked her mom or I probably kind of coerced her mother into <laughs> changing to altering her birth date. Oh. So that she's a year younger. So they altered her birth certificate to say she was born in 1929 instead of 28. 
and like even like her baby books were changed. So she literally thought that she was a year younger than she actually was until she thought she was turning 12. Then her mother, they were like, actually, you're turning 13. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Why? What was the purpose Be- of that? Because it would like prolong her babyhood her babiness yeah for fox right if she's four instead of five then it gives her like an extra year to be a little girl yeah so like i've heard some of the stuff that i heard is like oh her mom did this and blah 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 and well no it was fox that told her to that basically made her i mean she owned her basically so like there she did what fox told her to do um so she was uh, somewhere in this period. She was leased to Paramount, and she did a couple pictures with them. And Paramount tried to buy her contract out from Fox, but for fifty grand, but they refused wisely. She basically um, no saved Fox from bankruptcy during the Depression, <laughs> single-handedly, her alone, and uh, to the point where she they had built a little bungalow for her on the studio property. She had a four four room bungalow just for her with a little fence around it, a little yard. She had a swing. She had a sandbox. She had uh rabbits and chickens and like this was just for her. And then that's way too much power to be in the hands of a child. Holy but, shit. Like and they and then uh she they she, oh somehow she got I don't know where she got this from, but uh, her own little mini car. Yeah. Like basically like a toy car, but she could like actually really drive it. She'd drive it from her bungalow to the studio. So almost and then like back. a golf cart. And cart it, but it was like, like really low. Yeah. Like it looked like it looked like an actual like little convertible car. And there's like uh, footage of her wow. driving. She drives up to the curb. She kind of bumps up against the curb and then she just runs into her little bungalow. It's it's really cute. Oh and to listen to her talk about it later on, on in life, like she loved it. Of course. She absolutely, she had no regrets. She absolutely loved her life. She said, I would have paid them to be in the movies. But she probably wasn't aware of like how much was riding on her. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Well, at least not at that age. That's so cute. Yeah. But even FDR said that as long as we have Shirley Temple, we'll be all right. (laughs) It's so funny. So one of her favorite co-stars was uh, Bill Bojangles Robinson who was okay. uh, an African-American tap dancing actor guy. Like he, did, he, like he was famous for his dance sequences and whatever. She did four movies with him. Uh, the first one was called The, the Little Colonel. I think that's what it was. Mm, they yeah, were the yeah. first interracial dance couple. <laughs> Big, <so> tall <laughs> Bojangles and little cute little Shirley. Oh, my God. And... Uh, and uh, she said that he was her favorite co-star. And she learned the uh, dance steps. Like, there's a famous sequence uh, in that movie where they're tap dancing up the stairs. Yeah. And it's really cute. I remember um, that. And it's apparently, so uh, uh, <laughs> in the South, they would cut out any little parts where their hands were touching or if they were touching oh. at all. They would cut those sequences oh out of God. the movie. Yeah. God forbid. Like, yeah. They right? could be best friends on screen, but they can't yeah. touch. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so horrific. So she was so quick to learn. Like, she would literally hear the, uh, she would learn by listening the dance steps. Oh, one thing. Let's okay. backtrack a little bit to her baby burlesque days. Mm-hmm. I didn't write this down. I, I should have. Disgusting. 
So going back in time a couple of years, she's three years old, group of toddlers on set. The way that they would keep them in line mm-hmm. was they had like uh, these soundproof boxes um, that were really for, for the sound people, but they would have an extra one on set. It was basically a big black box with a tiny little window in the top and they had like these rubber wheels or whatever and they would put a block of ice in there and if the child was misbehaving or they didn't get their lines right, didn't get their mark right, or if they looked at their mark, because uh, you're not supposed to look at your mark right, you're supposed to walk up, find your mark without looking at it, they would put them in there, lock the door for... At their discretion, who knows how long they would leave them in there, but they're literally stuck in there, and the only place they could sit was on a block of ice. Explain my face. <laughs> Holy shit. Slack jawed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, like, insane. Like, even oh in, even in those days, I that mean, would that be cruel behavior. I illegal then. I'm, yeah. I mean, everything should have been illegal yeah. back then. They those movies should have been illegal. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so she very, very quickly learned that time is money. Mm -hmm. You know, she learned how to find her mark by feeling the heat of the light on her face because it would be brighter and hotter where she was supposed to be. Um, Yeah, she very quickly learned how to behave on set. Well, it's a good thing she has fond memories of it because I would just, like, be traumatized. (laughs) Yeah. So um, going back to Bill Robinson... She would learn the steps just by listening to him. And she tells this one story of uh, how her mother was telling her to pay attention, like to learn the dance steps. And she's like, I am paying attention. She was just listening. She wasn't like looking at it. She was listening Mm -hmm. because that's how she learned how to do it. And then she would just do it perfectly. Wow. And then she, and she told a story about how one time she was uh, walking down the street with Bill and his wife and uh, she kept trying to reach for his hand, but he didn't notice he didn't notice that she was trying to reach for his hand until his wife pointed it out. So then they walked down the street holding hands and she asked him if she could call him Uncle Billy. And he said, Aww. as long as I can call you darling. Aww. And that's what they called each other. Aww. Uncle Billy and darling. But she said so she called a lot of her male co-stars uncle because they yeah. were all like older, whatever. But uh, And I guess if they all have contracts, they're usually like they're... Like she did like multiple films with multiple actors kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, she did four films with him and uh, she just loved him. (laughs) So uh, she told a story about, um, I thought this was so cute. How I guess she must've been at the white house or something like that. And like having a cookout with the Roosevelt's. And one of her seriously, a I know, child, a child fucking actor she, has this much power over the country. Tells, <laughs> she tells the story and she says she's about 10 years old at this point. And so I guess like 1938, 39. And uh and Eleanor Roosevelt is like bending over, cooking or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she apparently she always carried a slingshot in her purse with her when she was a little girl. Oh, she Shirley a, Temple? Yeah, she okay. was a real tomboy. When she went home, she would just change into jeans and a t-shirt. She would be, you know, running all over the place, climbing trees. She was a tomboy. So she had a slingshot in her purse. So she picks up a rock. She said, like, I just couldn't help myself. The target was right there in front of me. So she picked up a rock of Eleanor's and shot her in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) What a little brat. No, but it was all in good fun. She's just like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> like just kind of stunned. Um, 
cute. <laughs> there were some rumors and myths going around about her, though, like when she was really little. Um, one of them was that she was a dwarf. <laughs> Because she kind of had, like, a stocky build, right? She was, yeah. like, a, a slender, <sighs> tiny little child. Are yeah. you done? <laughs> Don't you know you're disturbing my recording session here? Guest appearance by Indiana Bones. <laughs> Once again, old man. <laughs> I love his little Oh, dogs. he's such an old man. He'll literally stand at the door, like, at the entrance to the kitchen over here. And I'll be at the door, and then he's trying to contemplate if he wants to go outside or not. <laughs> he thinks I'm That's making cute. him. Anyway. So uh, this was such a prevalent rumor that she was a dwarf mm-hmm. that the Vatican dispatched Father Silvio Masante to come over and investigate. Oh I don't know God. if he was like a bishop or I don't know what he was, but. It just says Father Silvio Missante. Um, yeah. Oh my God. She also seemed to never lose any baby teeth. So there was rumors going around that either that she must be an adult. Yeah. Or, and they had like filed down her teeth to look like baby teeth. But the truth was that she was losing her teeth. They would just make her wear like dental plates like in her movies. Okay. So it looked like yeah. she had a full set of teeth. And um, when she did her handprints in front of the Grumman's Chinese Theater, she was actually, she had a gap in her teeth because she was missing a tooth. And she kind of didn't want to draw attention to herself. So she, so she um, uh, also did her footprints. She was the first one to do hand and foot. Oh. And then, and then after that, like kids would do that, like if there are other child star things yeah. on there, like you'll see, like there will be like hand and footprints. Okay, she was the first one to do that because she just <laughs> didn't want them to see her missing tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and and another one was that um, her hair was a wig. Oh, so when she'd be out in public, people would like pull on her hair, thinking it was a wig. Like first of all, even if it is a wig, that's just rude. Yeah, like. <laughs> Her mom's like, excuse me, I get paid good money to make yeah. that hair happen. <laughs> I did that. It's real. Um, there was a woman who, uh, some some kind of mental illness or something like that. She, she was convinced that Shirley had stolen the soul of her daughter because they were born on the same day and her daughter had died. Oh, my God. And... Uh, So she was convinced, but she was, I mean, obviously she was wrong because, uh, Shirley was actually a year older. Oh, she wasn't born on the same day, same birthday, maybe, but not the same actual day. Wow. Well, still, she she actually tried to kill her. Yeah. Like there was like, she was in some theater, like singing some of her hit songs or whatever. And this woman had like already like kind of driven by her little bungalow and and stalked her her. a little bit yeah and then uh, so they had told the security and um and so they were keeping an eye out for this woman and they found her like sitting in the theater audience like really really angry like with an angry look on her face and she had this big handbag in her lap and just as security got to her she tried she pulled out a gun and tried to like she was actually going to shoot little Shirley that's just a woman a mom who is just hurting so Just much. like grief gone to seed. Yeah. It's just like sort of morphed just into. There has to be some reason for my child's yeah. death. So I'm going to. Yeah. Going to blame her. Some kind of way. Yeah. 
as if wow. as if it would be Shirley's fault anyway, even if it was the case. Like, why would you kill her then? And newborn if it's your daughter's soul, like, yeah. is it going to bring your child back? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's no logic. There's no logic. But no. yeah. So anyway, oh. I don't know what happened to that woman, but um, yeah, she, she tried got to locked in a box full of ice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so between the ages of. Uh, five and 12, she made 29 movies and her contract with Fox was up when she was 12. And because her profitability had started to wane, she wasn't as popular anymore. She's starting to grow up. She's not cute little Shirley anymore. Mm. So they didn't renew her contract. Um, thanks a lot for saving our ass during the depression, but we don't need you anymore. Yeah. (laughs) What happens to the bungalow? Uh, oh, they, uh, (laughs) renovated it or tore it down and built offices there. Oh, okay. Okay. And actually she said one other time that, um, the, uh, um, what was I going to say where her sandbox was? Mm -hmm. Apparently they had found oil there or something like that. So there was like an oil pump. So she's like, if I had dug a little deeper, I would have come across oil. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, so she, she actually went to, she was going to sign with MGM mm-hmm. and I guess she had sort of one, one project already, um, already committed to. So, but they were going to like sign her to a contract. So she, her and her mother went to MGM for an initial meeting. Wait, this is when she's like 12? She's 12. Okay. Um, and by the way, like her hair had like gotten darker. Like you could tell like when she's already like eight, nine ish, her hair's starting to get darker. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny how like she went from like straight up blonde to brunette, like full on brunette by the time she was a teenager. Well, that's what happened Which to B, our sister. Like she had. Well, no, that was the opposite. She yeah, had dark hair, black hair and then it went blonde. But our sister-in-law was blonde and went brunette. Oh, <laughs> I didn't Yeah. Know if that. you see her little baby that's pictures. Funny. Um, yeah, so it happens. It happens so, yeah. but uh, anyway, really, really changed her look. So anyway, um, when they got to MGM, remember she's twelve. Yeah, they separate her and her mother into different offices with different meetings with different producers. Her mother goes in with Louis B. Mayer, and she goes into an office with Arthur Freed. He was supposed to be pitching a project to her, but instead, he exposes himself to her. <gasps> She's freaking 12 years old. Oh, my God. Like, what What are you thinking? And she was so shocked that she just laughed at him. Of course. And, you're 12. And, you don't even understand the implications yeah, no, of she's that. Like, she's like, I had never seen another naked body other than my own. Oh, my God. So she didn't know how to react, and she just started giggling at him. <laughs> and he is so petty and immature and egotistical that he gets insulted that she's laughing at him. And throws her out of the office. You know, it, wait, I'm I'm happy to hear that she had, that was the first time that she wasn't yeah. used for that all the way along. Yeah. Because. I think I mean, she escaped a lot of that. Yeah. Type stuff. And I think that's part of the reason why she has such fond, fond memories. Yeah. Of her time there. Um, her, Icebox aside. Her, yeah. Like her, I mean, and her parents were loving uh, normal parents. She said they always lived like a modest lifestyle. There was nothing like extravagant. Yeah. They weren't like spending her money left and right and center. She had a lot of love in her home. Um, That's good. She, um, 
she was on a strict allowance. This one's I and the cookies. <laughs> um, she was on a strict monthly allowance. Um, she had, sounds like she had, like when she was home away from the public, she had a normal, healthy childhood. That's good. Um, stable family and everything. So that's rare. That's yeah. So weird to hear from. So anyway, she gets out, of, she gets kicked out of his office. She sees her mother in the lobby. They walk very quietly back to the car, which was unusual. She said like they usually would just be chatty. And, uh, like her mother was like her best friend. And, uh, when they get into the car, she tells her mother, you'll never guess what just happened to me. And then she tells her what happened. And her mom's like, you'll never guess what just happened to me. And turns out Louis B. Mayer like hit on her. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I don't know if they planned this. I would imagine. I don't know. I. Oh, God. Both. Yeah. They're like, I'll take the kid. You take the mom. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Like, just ridiculous. He like put his hand on her knee and and. uh Basically, like, I can make your mother, I can make you as famous as your daughter and all this stuff. Yeah. And so and she they just, just she just, like, got up and left the room. The so they, they had to do the one movie, but they didn't sign on, like, for the full contract that they wanted. Mm-hmm. So um, she was, she went under contract to David O. Selznick, which I guess was, like, a, I don't know if that was, like, the name of the studio or just the pr- producer himself. I honestly don't know. So between the ages of 13 and 22, she only made 15 movies, 14 or 15. Um, so she was just like her popularity is waning. She's uh, She can't be cast as like the innocent little girl anymore. Yeah. So she's her roles are changing and, and people are just kind of like, like that's not the Shirley Temple we know. And so it's oh like a, it's a difficult transition when you're a child yeah. actor to becoming like a full-fledged, like very few do that successfully, right? I mean, we see that even to this day with like Disney actors yeah. and Nickelodeon actors where as soon as they start to come into their own and want to kind of explore what life is going to look like for themselves it, as like young adults or teenagers, yeah. it becomes this huge scandal. Like, well, because- oh my God. And it's like, no, no, no. They're just human beings. And at this age where they're learning about their own autonomy and like figuring out what do I want my life yeah. to look like? Who am I? Like, what do I want? You know, just like every other child in oh, the world. Yeah, <laughs> except not every other child has like, and and not every other so child is attention. under contract to Disney to like put on to put out a face. very wholesome image. Like, even when you're not working, yeah, like that's a thing. And then as soon as they're not on under contract anymore, they're just like, oh, now I can be myself. Um, it's honestly like guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed, but. <laughs> In my opinion, I think the bulk of the kids who have kind of become mess-ups, so to speak, in, in public light, uh, like Lindsay Lohan, like I have, I have no doubt that any of those people have been completely exploited and sexually yeah. molested and raped and or whatever. Or at least harassed. As children. Like, yeah. it's just, it's such a common story. Like, that you hear a lot, no like... You hear a lot like, oh, they're just so young, they can't handle the fame and the money. Well, I don't think that that's that's it. I think it goes deeper than that. I think there's like a lot of systemic stuff that's happening and um, just the way that they're treated behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, that's just not out in the open. Yeah. And um, it's really sad. I mean, it's starting to get out in the open, which is good. But yeah. But still. So anyway, again, when she's 12, she kind of goes through this transition, right? But this is also when she starts to go to actual school. 
Um, she went to Westlake Girls School for the first time. And so this is the first time that she's actually like in a class with other students her age. She has to wear a uniform. Um, but she just loved to finally be able to have like a normal life, right? She just mm-hmm. had a blast. Um, when she's 15, she meets John Angar, who's an Army Corps, Army Air Corps sergeant. This is 1943. So mid-war hero, you know, war hero, Army guy, sergeant. And she actually, she set her sights on being the first girl in her class to get engaged, which she did at 16. Oh, my God. Married at 17. Did anyone do that when in your high school? Get married that young? When I was in grade nine, there was a girl who was engaged. I don't know if she ever actually went through with it, but it was like an older dude. He was like 19. (sighs) I know. I don't know. I, I don't I mean, know why I the had, teachers never said anything. She wore an engagement ring and everything. I had a very small class. Yeah. So yeah, there wasn't true. a whole lot to choose from. I <laughs> mean, I had one girl got pregnant, but then she left the school. And then, um, yeah. well, then there was the girl that lived with us that she was basically engaged. And she, she was my age. She was like yeah. 16, 17. Um, they did get married. And as far as I know, they're still married. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, she married at 17. Um it was uh, rocky right from the start. Like he was a f- kind of philanderer. I don't know if he had like full fledged affairs, but she said okay. like he would be like flirting and dancing with other girls and kissing them and stuff like that. And one of the things that I saw said that they lived in her playhouse in her parents' yard. What? Like it was like this house that had been built for her, like a playhouse. Like, oh my God. Wait, have you seen the Kardashian kids' houses? Like all of the Kardashian kids have mega cool playhouses maybe it was something like that i don't know like actually livable little playhouses like maybe that's what this was i only heard it on one of the things so i don't know the veracity of it but i wouldn't put it bigger than my apartment yeah i'm moving into so no shade (laughs) yeah i mean yeah anyway (laughs) so she found out pretty quickly that all he wanted was just to just be a star oh yeah like a producer approached him and he's like um offered him a movie and he's like yeah sure so so they did a few he did a few movies they did two movies together actually um they had a child one one thing said linda one thing said susan one thing said linda susan i think her name was actually linda susan and then shirley herself in a later interview called her susan so okay like they used her middle name or something like that so anyway, after four years of marriage at like age 22, 21, they divorced. Wow. Um, and then she she goes to Hawaii for, I, don't, I think it was just vacation. And while she's there, she meets uh, George Alden Black. Ooh. And um, basically after a whirlwind, they got engaged very, very quickly. Like it, he had never seen any of her movies. <gasps> She's just like this normal guy, never seen any of her movies. He thought she was a secretary and she was so honored that he thought that she was a secretary. (laughs) She's like, I can't even type. But um, she just thought it was so wonderful that he had never seen any of her movies and he wasn't like all enamored with her. He had no idea. He thought she was just a starlet and she was so insulted. She's like, I was a starlet when I was three years old. (laughs) I'm a full-fledged star now. (laughs) Did they, was he like the keeper? Did they he say? was the keeper. Oh, yes, definitely. That's so cute. They became engaged very, very quickly. And I, I, I couldn't figure out like exactly when they met and like exactly how long their courtship was, but they were married, 
um, December 16th, 1950. Um, and, and that's right around this time that she decided to retire from acting. Um, so she's 22. A lot happened when she was 22. She got divorced. She got remarried. She retired from acting. And then she's like, Hey, I'm 22. I was supposed to get my money when I was 21. Now I'd like to get my money. So she goes and talks to her father and his business partner. And, and, uh, she's like, where's my money? I'd like to have my money. How much do I have? And they kind of hemmed and hawed and, and they had like a two and a half hour meeting. And finally at the end, she's like, just level with me. Like, how much do I have? And they're like, you 44,000. That's it? Yeah. And um, which is, she had earned about $3 million, which is about $56 million today. And um, 44000 back then was 475000 today, which is nothing to sneeze at. Like, that's enough to start your life. But still, that's, that's not, not $56 million. But she worked really hard for 20 years and got nothing at the end of it, essentially. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. Like, she didn't, she did, she did not harbor any ill will towards her father. She knew that he tried to do the right thing by her, and she blamed it all, blamed really his, whoever, his advisors, whoever yeah. was telling him what to do, because he wasn't really savvy in that regard. So he was just getting advice from other people, and yeah. she felt like they steered him wrong. Okay. And he yeah. felt really bad about it. So she she wasn't angry with him at all. She's she just such kind of a like she's very gracious gracious towards him and she cared for him later in life. Just like absolute sweetheart. She's just like, just walk away, you know, take it. I mean She's so, a model of like what I want to be like because I struggle with that so much and I really work hard to like not hold grudges and not yeah stay angry that's so so wise yeah. like oh, so she her. left the movie world and become and became a housewife uh-huh. to raise her children what did her husband do he oh he did a whole bunch of different things um gosh i didn't write it down but he did but a they lot had of, like, a nice little and, a nice little like they had a nice little life. They had two Cushion. two kids. She had custody of her oldest daughter, and then they had two kids together. Um, so they basically raised like all three kids, and and mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until and she did do she had a little TV show like in the fifties for a couple of years called Shirley Temple's Storybook, where they would like reenact um, like fairy tales and stories and things like that on a set. Um, I've seen I've seen that. Um, so yeah, she that was that had some moderate success for a couple of years. Um, but that was really the only kind of like show business she did in that time. Um, but, uh, in 1967, she decided to run for Congress. What? Wait. Yeah. 1967. Yeah. Wow. What brought that on? Um, I'm not sure exactly what prompted her to run for Congress, but that running for Congress, she lost, but that, that really jump started her, her interest in, uh, politics and the political world and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So she was a member of the Republican party, which keep in mind did not mean back in the sixties, the same thing that it means today in 2020. So she wasn't like a, Oh yeah, I know. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was today. Wait, like it is today. Just put it that way. Um, so in 1969, she was appointed to the UN general assembly by Nixon. Um, 
1972, she was diagnosed with brain with breast cancer. And it was kind of a taboo subject. Nobody talked about that kind of stuff uh, back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she did. She was pretty open about it, um, which just did a whole lot for improving breast cancer awareness and like Mm -hmm. promoting like self-examination and stuff like that. She just really took the opportunity to make it like an issue to bring it to the forefront. Because back then, doctors wouldn't tell you. They they just thought that like you were, I don't know, didn't have the... uh, you just couldn't, ha- women just couldn't handle the truth yeah. or whatever. So they, you would go in for a biopsy and I guess you would be put under for like a biopsy surgery and wake up with a, no breast. <gasps> like they just wouldn't even tell you. And then afterwards they would tell you, oh yeah, you had cancer. So they would, wait, they would, they had it planned as a mastectomy? Yeah. And they just wouldn't tell you. Oh, you just think you were doing a biopsy? Yeah. Holy. Yeah. Would they at least put fakies in? <laughs> not back then, I don't think. Um, not at the same time, no. Come on. I know I know now that's kind of the norm, right? Like yeah. they do it all in one shot, but back then that's I crazy. don't think so. So um she had a mastectomy and she actually spoke to reporters from her hospital bed. Wow. And uh and, and she sort of began to advocate for women's rights to and she she actually insisted on like being like her doctor was very honest with her about her situation Mm -hmm. and she gave consent for the surgery. Yeah. Um, But this was uh, something that she really um, sort of took a stand on and just sort of to raise awareness. So sounds like she was like one of the first to sort of like put the whole like breast cancer awareness thing on the radar. Um, So a little rundown of her positions with the uh, government. So after, UN General Assembly, after the breast cancer thing, she was appointed to be ambassador to Ghana, 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 Ghana. sorry, in 1974 by President Ford. Um, She was appointed the first female chief of protocol of the United States, um, which is an officer of the uh, United States Department of State responsible for advising the president, the vice president and the United States Secretary of State on matters of national and international diplomatic protocol. The chief of protocol holds the rank of ambassador and assistant secretary of state. Wow. So basically, like, you're going to this country, they go with them and tell them, like, how to act, how to behave, how to, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, She also trained new foreign ambassadors on what to expect, how to prepare for life, and in case of, like, violence, war, uprising, kidnappings, like, what to do and how to like talk to your spouse beforehand and whatever, and mm-hmm. how to plan and prepare for that. Um, from 89 to 92, she was ambassador to Czechoslovakia under uh, George H.W. Bush. Okay. Uh, first and only female in that role. Hmm. Um, in 1968, she had, she had been in Prague as a representative for the International Federation of Multiple Sclerosis Societies when the Soviet-backed forces invaded the country. So she was there. She had to take refuge on the roof of her hotel. And from that vantage point, she was actually able to see witness a, um, an unarmed woman being gunned down by the Soviet forces. Oh my God. So that just kind of like traumatized her and stayed with her the rest of her life. Yeah, I bet. But she still went back to be, uh, um, ambassador there. And she served as VAT ambassador during the Velvet Revolution, which was a nonviolent transition of power from communism to a parliamentary republic. So she was there. How long was she there altogether? Um, 
She was ambassador there for three years, 89 to 92. Okay. Um, so then after, uh, she never did really work with uh, Reagan, who was actually one of her co-stars in one of her oh. teenager <laughs> movies. That's funny. Kind of a weird one, but yeah, she never did. She, she said, because they, they sort of played love interest. He was much older. Yeah, it was really weird. Ooh, it was much interest, much older, and it was a very weird, convoluted kind of story. But she said that he was her best on-screen kiss. Ew! And she made the mistake of saying that at something, and his wife and Nancy was there, and and she she suspected afterwards that that why that's why he never appointed her to anything. <laughs> she never got to work with him as president. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's that was her suspicion. She's like, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, she didn't know at the time that he was going to be president or let alone uh, she would be it. Or maybe he was just like running for president. I don't know. Anyway. So post political life, she served on the boards of directors for some large enterprises and organizations such as Walt Disney, Del Monte Foods, Bank of America, Bank of California, Fireman's Fund Insurance, UNESCO, UN Association, National Wildlife Federation. So like all these things, she just served on the boards. Um, and uh, until, I don't know like when she kind of retired from that life, but mm-hmm. in uh, 2014, February 10th, 2014, she died of COPD. Because she was a lifelong smoker. Aww. But How she never, she? she was 85. Okay. She never smoked publicly because she didn't want to set a bad example for her fans. Oh, <laughs> so overall, I mean, to hear her talk about it, she had a a wonderful, amazing life, nothing but fond memories of her childhood in Hollywood and just, yeah. yeah. And like married to her husband, like to the end, I think he passed away in 2006 and, uh, yeah, her Aww. George, George Black. That's so yeah. cute. So that's the Shirley Temple Black. That's cute because I didn't know anything about her. I've seen some of her shit because I love old movies. I was raised on old movies. But now I'm a fan. I can and say honestly, fan. you should watch <laughs> some of these interviews with her. She is hilarious. Yeah. She's just like charming and fun and funny and just really pers- personable. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. Very funny. I like anyway. honest people. When people are like, have the balls to just be vulnerable in a public space, I so honor that i think that's amazing yeah mm-hmm. yeah very interesting cool. person oh yeah well that's it cool goodbye <laughs> just kidding <laughs> merry christmas yeah merry have a good christmas, christmas. even if you have to be alone for christmas this year because this year sucks all together just make it the best that you can yeah and if you can have one person over you know, just make it fun. Yeah, just yeah. Do the best that you can. Make have a bubble know. bath, drink some wine and make a special meal. <laughs> yeah. Have some cookies. And if you enjoyed the story this week, please hit subscribe, rate and review. That helps us out a lot. And find us on Instagram at the Badass Broadcast. Also if you know a badass broad that you want to shout out, let us know on Instagram or email us at thebadassbroadcast at gmail.com. And as always, see see you next Thursday. Thursday.